Okay. We're in Joshua to work closing in on the end of Joshua. Actually, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 22 this evening. And then uh, Okay, here we are. In this section of the book of Joshua, we see a clear account of devo- of the devotion to God and concern for future generations. The tribes had already occupied the lands and had taken their inheritance, yet they failed to do what? They failed to drive out all those people. Remember, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, and they're still paying the price for that. They began to use them as slaves, and they eventually began to intermarry, and it was just everything that God said not to do, they started doing. The Jordan River was the dividing landmark between the tribes. There were tribes on the east of the Jordan. There were tribes on the west of the Jordan. And, but it was never meant to be a, 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 a division between the children of Israel. It was just a landmark that was there. It wasn't a division. The tribes on the east side of the, of the river thought that it, beco- it could become a division. When I grew up, I had, uh, I had the tracks, and there would be the people on the other side of the tracks. And then there was also a bridge, and we would refer to the people on the other side of the bridge. Oh, he lives on the other side of the bridge. So he was that way. They're on the other side of the track, so they were that way, right? Well, the, the tribes on the east side of the Jordan saw that the Jordan River could be, in, in future generations, a dividing line between the tribes. And, and so they decided to be proactive and do something to avoid that from happening. Their actions, however, were misunderstood, and then it snowballed out of hand, and it almost came to the point of a civil war in in Israel. So uh, let me just show you. I have one slide I want to show you this evening, and it's a map. So you should have an idea of what's going on. Okay? Uh, so you see the Dead Sea, and then the, the Jordan River goes into the Sea of Galilee, and it goes a little bit further up. So we see on the east side, you're looking at a map, so the east side you have Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, and they're, in a sense, separated from the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the river. So they saw that as a, as a problem, and they, they wanted to... Uh, do something. Now, the size of the Jordan, I'm sorry, the size of the, the children of uh, the land that they occupied, north to south, it was around 180 miles, north to south. So the very, the very tip of the, the tribe of Judah all the way up to Asher, it's more or less 180 miles. So that, that's a pretty, pretty big distance. And then east to west, I'm sorry, I'm hitting the wrong button. East to west, it's about 80 miles at its widest point. All right? So we're, we're dealing with these three tribes or these two and a half tribes that, that saw the, the, the possibility of the Jordan River being a dividing line between Israel. So they decided to take action. 
Okay, that's my only slide, and we're going to get rid of that and get rid of this. The less buttons I have to touch, the better. I called the title of this message, The Altar of Misunderstanding. The Altar of Misunderstanding. Kids, if you put that on your paper, that would be good too. The Altar of Misunderstanding. There's actually, my, my message is sort of, is divided into two parts. There's three points in the first part, and there's going to be three in the second part. The first point, misunderstanding leads to wrong conclusions. Misunderstanding leads to wrong conclusions. The wrong conclusion leads to the wrong reaction. And the last point, the wrong reaction leads to the wrong words Spoken, And we can almost make the practical application of that right now, can't we? Misunderstanding leads to the wrong conclusion. We've come to the conclusion, and so we react, and it's normally the wrong reaction, and then our reaction leads to the wrong... We, we, I wish I wouldn't have said that, because I was totally wrong. That's what's going, that's what's going on here. So... In the beginning of this passage, uh, Joshua 22, beginning at verse 10, we see that the, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, like I showed you on the east side of the river, they built an altar. Ah! They've apostatized. They've built an altar. The, it, it didn't take long for the tribes on the east to come to the conclusion that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have apostatized. They've built an altar. They built a large altar. That was prohibited in the Old Testament. They were only allowed to worship and sacrifice where the Lord had put up residence, and that was in the, in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, and that was in Shiloh. Not different places. To, to have altars in different places would certainly mimic the pagan idolatrous practices. Now, punishment for this was death. Okay, punishment for that kind of idolatry was death. You can go there if you'd like. I'm going to read from Leviticus chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. It says, Then you shall say to them, Any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, to offer it to the Lord, that man also shall be cut off from his people, executed. This was a big deal. So the tribes on the east, I'm sorry, the tribes on the west, the nine and a half tribes on the west, had it figured out. They built an altar. They apostatized. Now they're knee-deep in idolatry. So misunderstanding leads to the wrong conclusion. The wrong conclusion leads to the wrong reaction. Judgment's passed, and it's time for war. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Well, let me just read 10 to 12, just so you have the idea. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it, heard of it, and said, 
Behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. When the sons of Israel heard it, the whole congregation and the sons of Israel of the sons of Israel themselves at Shiloh Okay, I, I messed up here. When the sons of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. They built an altar. They're in apostasy. We're just going to go and we're going to cut them off. That's pretty drastic, wouldn't you say? But that's what the word says. Anyone that does that shall, if, if you offer or you sacrifice or you worship at any altar that's, that's outside of the altar in front of the tent of meeting, you're to be cut off. That's what Leviticus said. So Reuben and Gad, half tribe of Manasseh, they built that altar it wasn't in the right place. They already had one. We must go to war. So that was the reaction. The wrong conclusion. They've apostatized. The wrong reaction. We got to go to war. Point three, the wrong reaction leads to the wrong word spoken. Now, praise the Lord for this. God foresees that we are a, uh, a I'm going I'm to say we're silly people and he's laid out in his word how we are to handle situations like, like in, in the New Testament when Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and then the next time we hear about the church it's how to handle uh, 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 sin among us offenses among us he tells us how to get along okay well here he, he gave instructions for how to how to handle this kind of reaction in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 13. So if you would go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13, and then after that we won't do any more bouncing around. So Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. Let me read that real quick. 13, 12 through 15, and then we'll get back to Joshua, and then we'll park there. So this is what they're going to do. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Starting at verse 12, it says, If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known, then you shall investigate. You shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. If it is true and the matter is established that, it's, that this abomination has been done, done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. So, Amen for that. There's that, and, and they knew, they knew what the Old Testament said, and they knew what Deuteronomy said, and, and so they, we find out in verses 13 through 20 that they gather 
uh, a head from each of the tribes and they go and investigate the matter. However, they weren't investigating. They were accusing. Let's read verses 13 through 20 and, and see how this unfolds. Okay, now think about it. They're not, they're not going to the, the tribes of uh, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh to inquire what's going on. They're going there accusing them, condemning them, calling them to repent. That's not investigation. So going back to Joshua 22, verse 13. The sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one chief for each father's household from each of the tribes of Israel, and each, each of them was the head of the father's household among the thousands of Israel." They came to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord this day, by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? Does that sound like an investigation? No, th this is what you've done, and you're condemned for what you've done. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever gone, you heard something, you saw something, or you saw it on Facebook, and you condemned that person, and instead of inquiring and, and, and investigating in a biblical fashion, you go and you, you maybe talk to somebody else about it, or, or you go to that person and you condemn that person. Instead of investigating and inquiring. What is this unfaithful act that you have done? What did they do? They built an altar. Was that prohibited? Yes. But they don't have all the facts. Verse 17. Is not the iniquity, iniquity of Peor even, I'm sorry, is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us? from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague come to the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us <clears throat> by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zer, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban and wrath fall on the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So they went there. They, they gathered up that entourage of leaders. They, they went to sort of like investigate, but they didn't investigate. They condemned. They brought all these accusations, these charges. What is this unfaithful thing that you've done? You've committed against the God of Israel. You've turned away. You're, you've turned away from following the Lord this day. 
You built an altar for yourselves besides that the altar that we have in Shiloh. You've rebelled against the Lord. Remember the iniquity of Peor, and, 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 and that's when the children of Israel began to commit fornication with the Moabite women, and they started worshiping uh, Baal, Peor, Baal Peor, and God sent a plague, and 25,000 Israelites died, and then they repented. He says, we're still paying for that. We still haven't cleansed ourselves from that this day. Wasn't that enough? And you're going to make it even worse. All Israel will suffer. Friends, on the east side of the river, you don't understand, all Israel is going to suffer for what you've done. And the Lord's going to send a plague tomorrow. Remember what happened to Achan. So they, they used two instances to try to inspire memories of, of the children of Israel, uh, the, the iniquity of Peor, and then what happened to Achan when they were told to go in and destroy, and Achan found some things that he liked, and he took some things home, and he, he hid them in his tent, and, and we know how Achan died. It wasn't just Achan, it was his, his whole family, and all his animals, they were stoned. Can you imagine that? It's a terrible thing. So there we have. We have the misunderstanding leads to the wrong conclusion. The wrong conclusion leads to the wrong reaction. The wrong reaction leads to the wrong words spoken. So now we come to the second part of, of, the, past, of the message, and it's where's biblical reason in all this? Where's biblical reason? Let biblical reason lead. Now we notice in, in verse 21 that the tribes begin to respond to this. Verse 20 says, 21 says, Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Ged and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. Look what they say. The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows, and may Israel itself know. They immediately point towards God. Our devotion is still there. He knows. The mighty one, that, that's El. That means the almighty. That Hebrew word is El. That means that he's the almighty. And then God, that's Elohim, the supreme being. They're just glorifying uh, Brandon. They're, they're recognizing him where he is. It sits on the pinnacle, up in the heavens. The Lord, Jehovah, the eternal self-existent one. They're, they're worshiping God just as they, as they respond to the tribes on the west side of the river. He knows. And may Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. So they're willing to put themselves before God, and God knows the intention of their heart, heart, doesn't he? God knows the intention of our heart, doesn't he? But that's not an excuse. Don't use that as an excuse. Well, the Lord knew. The Lord knows my heart. Yes, he does. And like we say in Spanish, lamentablemente, unfortunately, yes, God does know your heart. What do you think the heart of Usa was like when, when the cart was being brought back to Israel 
on that wagon and the, the oxen shook and the cart rocked and the ark was going to fall off. What do you think Usa's heart intention was? I think any one of us that were walking by the cart with the Ark of the Covenant on the cart and it shook and it was ready to fall, I think any one of us like, oh no! Can't let that fall! And what happened to Uzzah? God struck him dead. Didn't matter the intention of his heart. He sinned. They're appealing to God, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the self-existent one. If it is in rebellion or an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built an altar to turn away from the Lord, or if we have burnt offerings or sacrifices on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance upon us. Let's look at verses 24 through 29. I was just paraphrasing those, those uh, above verses. We'll read 24 through 29. But truly, we have done this out of concern. Amen. I'm going to try not to weep because this, this, this makes me want to weep. I don't know why. Because I'm weepy. I don't know. But truly, we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, in time to come, your sons may say to our sons, so they're thinking about future. Remember, they, they, looked, at, they looked at the Jordan River and they said, this can be a dividing line between the tribes. We need to do something. Your sons may say to our sons, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? Those are the guys on the other side of the river. You're not a part of us. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you and your sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it shall be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we are to perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, what you have no portion in the Lord. Therefore, we said, it shall also come about if they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, and then we shall say, see the copy of the altar of the Lord, which, we, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice, rather it is a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offerings and for grain offering or for sacrifice beside the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. So that, that one was in Shiloh, okay? That tab where that sacrifice and worship took place. So let biblical reason lead. And that's what the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh did. They, they said, no, that's not what that's for. This is just in remembrance of that we are the same, the same tribe. This is why we built it, for the generations after us 
I hope you're thinking about the next generation in your family right now. You're really only one generation from unbelief. This morning, Pastor Steve brought up the, 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 the babes and one of them was my granddaughter, my newest granddaughter. And I couldn't help but look at her and she's one of 12. And I want Ruby to grow up to be a godly, virtuous, God-loving, God-fearing woman. That's what I want. And so I pray to that end, and not only pray that I, I work to that end, that, that when I'm with Ruby and when I'm with our grandkids, I strive for those open doors to teach them Christ. Mom and dad have that same responsibility to teach them Christ, right? That's, that's our third generation. My guys would be the second. That's the third generation they were worried that, that in time to come, that, that, that the next generation, for, for lack of their parents' instruction in their life, for lack of that, they would look at the river and say that those guys are on the other side of the river. They're not part of Israel. Reuben got him and asked, no, no, we are. We're going to build this altar to, to remind our guys and to, to forewarn your guys that we serve the one true God. Let biblical reason lead, my friends. But that they would remember that we are part of Israel, part of the same promise part of the same spiritual blessings and we worship the one true God. So biblical reason reveals truth and settles the heart. Look what happens in verse 30. So when Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the congregation even the heads of the families of Israel who were with them heard the words that biblical reason they heard the words which the son of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the sons of Manasseh spoke what? What's it say? It pleased them. When biblical reason reveals the truth, it settles the heart. It pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Amen. Today we know the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Oh. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the leaders returned, to the sons, returned from the sons of Reuben and from the sons of Gad to the land of, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the sons of Israel and brought back the word to them. And what does it say at the beginning of verse 33? What does biblical do, reason do? It pleased the sons of Israel. So that fear, oh no, they built an altar. They, I knew it, they would apostatize eventually because of the river. They're not part of us. No, when the, when the truth came back, when the biblical reason came back, 
It pleased Phineas. He brought the word that pleased the land, the, the sons of Israel. And the sons of Israel blessed God, and they did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad were living. Remember, folks, they were on the cusps, cusp of civil war. They were going to annihilate Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the final point, the altar of misunderstanding receives its true name. What does verse 40, 34 say? The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Witness. So here's three takeaways from what I see this morning, this afternoon. I'm still living in the morning. That's okay. That makes the day longer. <laughs> Number one, you don't have all the details. Are you listening? You don't have all the details. What you heard, what you saw, what you read on Facebook, what someone told you, you don't have all the details. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Many years ago, we have, I want to introduce to you Ani. She's a Kuna Indian in our church. She's about this tall. She's tiny. Ani. She, she dresses in the Kuna Indian uh, vesture, it's very colorful, and the, the, the colors and the patterns have meetings, meanings, excuse me. They have beads from their wrist almost to their elbow on both arms, and from their ankles, <coughs> excuse me, halfway up their, their legs. Beads. There's a pattern in these beads, and these beads mean something. And the beads are like clothes, Okay. Ani wasn't coming to church. And so I spoke to Anna, her daughter, and uh, Liuva, her other daughter. I'm like, hey, you know, how's mom? And then they would tell me something, and I really didn't understand it. And I'm like, okay. All right, well, tell her I said hi. Next Sunday comes around. Ani's still not there. I'm like, hey, how's mom? And they told me the same thing. And I still didn't understand. But they didn't have to tell me anything because I knew she was being lazy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I say this to my shame, all right? I'm like, I'm going to have to visit Ani. I'm going to have to rebuke her because she's being lazy. She's not coming to church. I know that's why she's not coming to church. So I go and Visiting Ani and Anna and Liuva, it was always fun because they're, they're very exciting, excitable and they flash from Kuna to Spanish. And anyway, laugh a lot. I went there, I'm like, I went for war, right? 
And so Anna greets me at the door, and don't forget, Anna's the daughter, Ani is the mom. And so I, I come in the door and I look straight back in the, the hallway to the bedroom where Ani was. And I saw Ani <clears throat> with her leg up on her, her, her mom's lap, Ida, and they were doing her beads. Now this is a this is a painstaking process. The beads are they're like a third of the size of a of a rice of of a rice grain. They're tiny, and they got holes in them. And they put them on strings, and they put a couple on, and they wrap it to make sure it make it's making the pattern that it needs to make. Then she unwraps it. She puts more beads on. She wraps it again. It takes a long time. Again, it's like they're clothes. Ani's not coming out of the house without her beads. And when I saw what was going on, I felt this big. I felt this big. Because I judged her and I was a goofy fool because I didn't have all the details. Have you ever done that? You've judged somebody, you've condemned somebody, and you didn't really have all the details. And then when you did find the details, you felt this big. You don't have all the details. The <clears throat> tribes on the east side, the, I'm sorry, the west side of the river, they didn't have the, all they saw was that huge altar. And they went for war, and they accused and then the tribes of Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, whoa, 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 no, 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 it's not like that at all. This is in case your generations, the generations that come after you, say to our next generation, you have no part with us. They lack the details. That brings me to my, ne my next point, the next generation. Are you concerned, or what are you doing for the next generation in your family? At first, when, when we were talking about having reenacting re the evening service, I was a little skeptical. I mean, I wanted the service, but I was a little skeptical as they, because they weren't going to have child care. But listen. kids this is good for all of us to be here together as families this is good because the kids learn the kids learn to sit and the kids learn from the word and they get organic suckers at the end <laughs> all seriousness what are you doing to prepare the next generation You got to work through that. You have to work through that. Finally, and I close with this. Are you leaving a witness? We don't build altars, right? We don't build altars. But what is it in the church? That was Israel. <clears throat> I apologize. We're the church. What is it that reminds us that we serve the same God. We serve the one true God. 
What is it in our faith today that we leave behind? It's right behind me. When you see that, what do you think of? What does it remind you of? It's one name, Jesus. And what he did, he died on the cross. Why? For our sins. That through repentance and faith we might have life. Remember John, the purpose of John, and these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. That, I don't know how long that's been up there. It's probably not been up there long, but, but as the church, the cross has been symbolic. It has been a witness to what Christ, who he is and what he did for us and for all the generations to come. Folks, there's the altar of witness right there, the cross for us today. Christ is the only way. Christ is the only way. I hope you're teaching that to your, to your next generation and preparing them to know that we serve the one true God. His name is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the time here this evening. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for what we can learn from the 12 tribes and how they were proactive to avoid division, to avoid confusion, to avoid isolation. Lord, help us to make that a priority in our, in our church, in our lives, in our home. Help us to understand that we don't have all the details. Therefore, any judgment we make based on what we know without all the details is a misunderstanding. And it's wrong. Lord, give us a spirit of love whereas we inquire. We certainly want to confront sin in the life of our brother and sister in Christ. We certainly want to do that. Your word tells us to do that. But we do it in love and we don't do it in a condemning fashion. We exhort with the word. We let biblical reason lead. And biblical reason settles the heart. Lord, let that be our desire this day and every day afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen.